Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. For him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. We were studying and discussing this gospel reading the other day at our circuit meeting, and it's always one of those things that it's a bit confusing when it comes to hearing the scene of the final judgment. And there are many reasons why. But one of the reasons, perhaps, is because as good Lutherans, anything that remotely smells of salvation by works, we wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. We think social distancing is a thing, but Lutherans and good works, sometimes that's even farther than six feet. And rather than the doing the due diligence of studying a text and looking at the whole of Scripture, it's easy at times maybe for just to gloss it over or find a way to rationalize it away that doesn't do justice to what the text is actually saying. But that's often, even in our lives, how we like to deal with judgment in general. We'd like to find a way where maybe we can deflect judgment, where we can justify ourselves, think that we're okay on our own, or just write it off. I don't want to deal with it. But Jesus shows us in this reading, and he shows us throughout the scriptures, that judgment is real. And every single person from all tribes, nations, languages, and peoples will face God. And that's the image then before us this Sunday of the church year, the next to last Sunday. So here's this scene that's presented before us where Jesus is on his glorious throne, and he's going to separate people just as a shepherd divides the sheep and the goats. There's kind of that courtroom imagery that comes to mind, but it's a little different than what we may think of in our American context, where judgment is decided and rendered. There were times in ancient Judaism where courts didn't always operate this way. There's one commentator that writes, Strictly speaking, these court scenes do not determine the guilt or innocence of the accused, since the parties typically enter already with labels such as sinners, righteous, elect, or enemies. So such a forensic determination of a status, hitherto unclear, does not appear in early Jewish text until the late 1st or early 2nd century. So instead, a forensic judgment publicly reveals and confirms the status of the groups and individuals. So in other words, it was not uncommon in early times, in the early centuries um, AD, that judgment had already been determined as one entered into this courtroom setting and then it was made public for all to see and hear. And in some ways, that's helped for us to think about this, and when we look at the scriptures and we think about the final judgment, all is made public. We just sing about that. So the sheep are revealed as sheep to all people to see. The goats are revealed to all as goats. And so Jesus said, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. 
So here's the judge, the king, the son of God, proclaims for all to see that these on his right are his sheep, and they lived as his people. And note how this isn't the basis for the judgment. The kingdom has been prepared for them before the foundation of the world. No, they lived as sheep, doing what they had been given to do. So the, prize, the surprise for them is not that they were doing these good things, but rather that they were doing them to Jesus. Christians do good works. They love as Christ loves them. It's what Christians, what sheep do. So taking care of God's servants and his people is what Christians do as they're taught in the Holy Scriptures, according to God's law. We aren't left wondering what is godly in this world. The Holy Scriptures show us just as these sheep would have known. We call this the third use of the law. It teaches us what is godly and what godliness looks like. And this is one of those things that is the difference between the sheep and the goats. Sheep have a different relationship to God's law. For these sheep see their sin and the accusation of God's law to be sure, but clinging in faith to Christ, they have salvation. And from that saving faith flows a new life, and now in their new man, they see God's law of taking care of their neighbor flowing from the forgiveness of Christ, and they delight in it and live in it. So each and every little thing they do according to this pleases God, and it's glorious in God's sight, visiting their neighbor, taking care of their neighbor, feeding their neighbor, not for their salvation, because that's only received in faith in Christ alone, but it's still pleasing and good, and it's okay to talk about those things. So God will say to the sheep what he says to them in this reading. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So in this way, God does judge us according to our works. But the righteousness of Christ has covered our sin, and we have nothing but good works on account of Christ. And we don't stand condemned. Our sin is not counted against us. So in the context of this reading, then, who are these brothers Jesus is speaking about in the gospel reading? Well, in Galatians chapter 6, we hear, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap, if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. The church is the place where this happens, first as God's people listen to his word and as they take care of one another. The term brother in the scriptures is a churchly term. He uses it mainly in reference to the apostles and pastors, but then it is used for other believers. Another example of this is when people listen to God's servants, his pastors, when they hear them, they hear Jesus. Jesus says, when they, he who hears you hears me. So taking care of the pastors was an important thing, along with other Christians, their fellow brothers in Christ. Because the church and Jesus are not separate as from God's people. Sheep hear the voice of their shepherd as they gather together as God's flock, the church. So it's a great error, then, when people want to have an independent notion of the Christian faith apart from the church. That's a form of rejecting salvation by grace alone, grace alone through faith alone. And oftentimes, if you do just a Google search of this reading, you'll often see it devoid from the church. This reading becomes all about just simply doing social things in this world. But a fellow pastor the other day put it on Facebook, that glorious theological discourse that it is. He said, 
The misguided notion and attempted practice of do-it-yourself, go-it-alone, independent contractor Christianity is the pinnacle of legalistic self-righteousness. To live evangelically is to live by faith in the gospel, which is to live by receiving and relying on the gifts Christ freely gives and his means of grace, and the liturgy of his word preached and his sacraments administered in his name instead. So when we hear things like that, and then we hear this instruction of Jesus, we see there's a churchly nature to it. To do it to the least of these, my brothers, is to do it to the pastors and hearers of God's word, first and foremost. Of course, we take care of others as well. But what did the goats do? They didn't take care of those things. They persecuted the church. They persecuted Christ. Saul on the road to Damascus, when he heard the voice of Jesus, what did he say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So hearing this today, then, you stand judged. You're judged by God. But you see, where does that leave you? Are you left guessing? Are you sitting there now thinking about, okay, wait a minute. Who was hungry around me? Who was thirsty around me? Well, that's not a bad thing to think about. But here's the thing. You know God's judgment for you. It's not hidden. It's not left up to your guessing. There are three judgments when you see and look at the scriptures, but they're all the same judgment. We see the judgment at the cross, the preaching of God's word, and the final judgment. So every year when we hear these readings about the end times and sing the hymns which talk about the judgment seat of Christ, you aren't left scratching your head or confused. And singing the hymn this morning, I just remembered that usually this is typically around when we have the Thanksgiving dinner. So for some reason, when I was singing that hymn, I was wanting to smell turkey. But we hear these every year. And each year, too, you're not forced to rework the faith because God has somehow changed things. God's judgment, while being known, is also unchanging. And so, too, scoffers are real. Goats are real. And they will scoff at what God's word clearly says. They'll mock the church. But don't let those take your eyes away from Christ by taking you away from God's word and sacraments. Scoffers stand judge of goats who stand under God's condemnation. The day of judgment for those who reject and mock Christ and his word, it will be a terrifying day. That's why God warns you as Christians, too, in those same readings that we heard a few minutes ago. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to live to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? So as you watch your life, as you examine what you are fearing, loving, trusting in, if the answer to those questions is something in this world, then God teaches you about the judgment of this world. What's going to happen? Well, it will be burned away. So what does that mean for you as a Christian? Repent. Don't let the devil, don't let the fallen world, don't let your own fallen flesh get you to fear something or someone in this world. Don't listen to scoffers who try to speak wisdom while rejecting the wisdom from on high. God's commands are eternal. 
They're clear. They don't change. And the Lord's mandates are far greater and more important than any mandate man may make or try to enforce. So look at those commandments of God in your life. Go through them and ask yourself daily, are you fearing, loving, and trusting in God above all things? And trusting in Christ won't put you to shame. Your sheep. Don't go wandering after the goats. Sheep hear the voice of their good shepherd. And this is where, then, you know your judgment. In the good shepherd, you have mercy. You have forgiveness. You have life eternal. Trust the promises of Christ that God has made to you in your baptism and which he gives to you today. And those words of absolution spoken a few minutes ago, I forgive you all of your sins. And his word read, his word preached to you. And the Lord's Supper, when you take and eat into your own mouth, the very body in Christ given and shed for you. And take heart. And wait. But wait together with your fellow saints as God teaches you through the pen of St. Peter. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So, dear Christians, the comfort in thinking about the end times is found in God's judgment of Christ for your sake. So when you see this image of final judgment, when you hear it next week, when we hear about the parable of the ten virgins, you know what God will say to you. And the reason is because of what happened when God reconciled the world to himself in Christ. Christ crucified is your judgment as the Lord has atoned for your sin and as he declares you righteous because of Jesus and his blood shed for you. So that's God's judgment, and it's known to you right now as God's word is preached to you and the Lord works faith to believe it. So knowing the future then, you look back to the past and have it now. All of those things come together. So your fear then, your trepidation, your trembling, your doubt, they're all cast aside when you gaze at Christ crucified for you. You see there, that's where salvation has been accomplished, and God delivers it to you right now. And you think about this, like the Israelites, bitten by fiery serpents in the wilderness. What happened when they looked around them? What did they see? They saw people getting bitten by serpents, and they were dying. They were laying around them. You can imagine the moaning, the screaming, the suffering. But what happened when they looked at the serpent on the pole? They lived. And Jesus tells us in John chapter 3, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... So must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so it's that image of Christ that is the final day judgment that you know that you are the redeemed sheep of God. So then hearing these end times readings, there's great joy to hear these things and know the wonderful salvation worked for you in Christ. One of the things as a pastor, people always say, well, the book of Revelation is so terrifying, Pastor, or the end times is so terrifying. Well, as Christians, we actually see those as very comforting things because we know the outcome. We know God's judgment. But lest we forget, his wrath burns against sin and that we take sin seriously and we look at our lives and we live a life of repentance and faith, daily drowning and dying, that God has given us that new life in baptism. 
And God's wrath can only be satisfied in the death of Christ, who perfectly lived according to God's law. But you see, it's his bloodshed that atones for your sin and gives you peace. So beholding Christ in faith, then, is to stand before the judgment seat of God, blameless, spotless, perfect in all of its splendor and glory. It's to stand together as God's holy people and inheritors of eternal life, even now in this world that will one day burn and pass away. But what a joyous future, then, to know what belongs to you, dear people of God. We lift up our eyes to the Lord and we serve him with a glad and willing spirit as his holy people. We seek to love and serve our neighbors all in the name of Christ who became least so that you would be great. And his kingdom is not of this world, but it's a kingdom that he promises, a kingdom that belongs to him. And what is this kingdom? And to him was given dominion and glory in a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom shall not be destroyed. That's the kingdom of Christ, which is his for all eternity. That's the kingdom which is yours now, and what you have as the Son of Man crucified and risen for you is your salvation. So rejoice in God's judgment. Rejoice in being sheep. Rejoice in the king who says to you, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Amen.